So the Torah portion this week is called Re'eh, which is the word for see, where it says, see, I set before you a blessing and a curse. So we're going to start today, to, we're going to see how well you all see and can make a distinction between, are you ready for this? How well you see the difference between clean and unclean animals. Test number one. Clean or unclean? Why? Why? Whoever said that it, ha- it has cloven hoofs, you can even see them, that's a kosher um, quality, uh, but it does not chew the cud. Anybody know what chewing the cud means? It's very delicious. It means that they chew their food, and then they swallow, and then they, and then they, well, it's, you know, it's, we're, that's why it's kosher, because that's what we're supposed to do with the word of God, which is our food. We don't just digest it once and call it a day. We keep, it keeps nourishing us and keeps nourishing us and keeps nourishing us. Clean or unclean? Little chicky. Why? What? Because it's foul. It's clean because it's foul. Why is it clean? Because in our Torah portion, it actually lists what birds not are clean, but what are unclean. It lists the unclean ones. This bird ain't in that list. That makes it clean. Clean or unclean? Unclean. It does not have a cloven hoof, and it does not chew the cud. So why am I seeing in the Torah portion that's called C, for eh, why am I seeing how well you know the distinguishings between the kosher and unkosher animals or clean and unclean animals? It's because that, that is in our Torah portion this week, where it goes through all the different animals that are clean and are unclean. So we can go through all of that, and we can look at all the different animals and why they're unclean, but today we're going to take a look at the concept of kosher, the concept of clean and unclean, clean and unclean animals. Is there any relevance to it today? Is it something that Yeshua did away with? Is it something of the old but not of the new? Is there anything in it for any of us today to know the difference between clean and unclean animals, even to watch what we eat? So let's just start with the very simple question. Did Yeshua abolish the kosher laws? Now, the word kosher is not really in the scripture when it comes to these animals. The word that's used is clean and unclean, clean and unclean. Uh, but did, so, but they've come to be known as kosher or kashrut. So did Yeshua abolish the kosher laws? Now, you may think so, you may not think so, and you're entitled to your opinion of that, but the primary theology in, primarily in the Christian church that says that Yeshua actually did away with the kosher laws, that, that yeah, we understand that that was a law, but Yeshua actually flipped that around, that the animals 
uh, and that, that were declared to be unclean, that were declared to be unclean, Yeshua actually flipped that, and now they are clean, according to what Yeshua said. This is the predominant belief in Christianity, right? That, that the kosher laws have been twisted. Yeshua took a law, and he said, no more. What was unclean is now clean. And the primary reason for that is from the book of Mark, when he's talking to scribes and Pharisees, and he said, don't you understand? It's whatever goes into the person from the outside that cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but only into his stomach and then eliminated. And then there's a, a part of verse 19. It says, thereby he declared all foods clean. Now, there is even debate on if this particular part of the verse is in the original manuscripts. Some of the ancient manuscripts have them. Some of them don't. Uh, but that's not where I want to go with this. Let's make the assumption that Yeshua actually did say these words to the people he was talking to, uh, that there, or, or let's say these are original words in the most original manuscript. Let's assume that they are. What did he mean by he declared all foods clean? Does it mean that what was unkosher before is now kosher? And the way to answer that question is to really go back into the context of what he's talking about in this whole narrative. Now, if we can go back to the beginning of Mark, he's talking to Pharisees and scribes, and they, uh, the Pharisees and scribes saw that some of his disciples, Yeshua's disciples, were eating their bread with unholy hands, that is, unwashed. Unwashed hands. So immediately we see, the, we see the context of what Yeshua is talking about when he said, therefore, all foods, all foods he declared clean. We see the context of the conversation. He's talking about unwashed hands. Now, we know that in Judaism, even unto today, there is a tradition called netilat hadayim, netilat hadayim, which is the washing of the hands before you eat. And a Practicing Jews will do that. They'll take their pitcher of water and they'll rinse their hands and let it go down their arms three times before they eat. They'll say a bracha, they'll say a little blessing, and it's part of the Jewish cultural tradition. Well, the disciples weren't doing it. Now, mom probably wouldn't be too happy they were eating without washing their hands because it is a good thing to do for sure. I hope everybody does it. But it is certainly not a spiritual requirement, and it's certainly not part of the law. So the disciples of Yeshua were not washing their hands according to the tradition, and the Pharisees said, well, they're not washing their hands. Why aren't they doing that? And Yeshua said, um, why do you, and they said to Yeshua, why do your disciples not walk in accordance to the tradition? of the elders, but eat their bread with unholy hands. It has nothing to do with kosher food. It's got nothing to do with it. It's to do with the tradition of the washing of the hands. But Yeshua responded, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. It is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's the part that hits home. Teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Teaching as law the commandments of humans. Elevating human law to the level of and above God's law. 
So he reprimanded the Pharisees for doing that. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the, tradi- to the tradition of men. What is the context of the conversation? Hand washing. It has nothing to do with kosher food. Nothing. The conversation. So do you not, then Yeshua says, do you not understand that whatever goes into the person from the outside can't defile, cannot defile him because it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach is eliminated? This is where you get, now you get the phrase, therefore he declared all foods clean. But what does he mean that all foods are clean? We have to look at the context. We have to look at the context. It doesn't make sense to just say, well, therefore everything is now kosher. So we have to look at the context. And he was saying, that which comes out of the person, that is what defiles the person, for from within, out of the hearts of the people, come the evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the person. So what is the context of this entire conversation? It's the hand-washing. If you also, one other way to look at the context of Scripture is to see if there's other places in Scripture which talk of the same thing. And when it comes to the Gospels, you're going to get a lot of that. Because you have, especially through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to get a lot of repetition of his teachings, of his parables, but they may actually present it slightly differently. Now, people that are opposed to Christianity or opposed to the belief in Yeshua will use that to say that the New Testament is not consistent with itself and therefore is not accurate or cannot be divine. That's not it. We're supposed to look at the entire thing in totality and then we will see a fuller picture of actually what Yeshua was saying and what he was doing. And if we look at its sister verse in Matthew... Then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Yeshua from Jerusalem. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? The same conversation, just in Matthew. Not in Mark, just in Matthew. Same conversation. And I put some of this stuff in here just to show you it's the same conversation. It's not a different conversation. It's the same conversation in a different gospel presented now by Matthew. And he, Yeshua, answered and said, Why do you yourselves break the commandment for the sake of the tradition? Same thing. We just saw those wording, that wording. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy, so he's quoting Isaiah. I'm just presenting this again so you know it's the same conversation. After Yeshua called the crowd to him, he said, Listen, he said to them, Hear and understand, it's not what enters the person that defiles what comes out of the mouth. This defiles the person. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes in the stomach? It's the same conversation. Got it? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And those things defile the person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, etc. We read the same thing in Mark, but Matthew concludes it very specifically. These are the things that defile the person. This is Yeshua's conclusion from his own mouth. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the person. Now you may think that you know, Yeshua did flip the kosher laws... And animals that were not clean are now clean to eat. That's fine, whatever you believe. But this is not a proof text of that. You can believe it, but this, this verse does not prove it. This is all about hand washing. He's rebuking the Pharisees for putting tradition above men. And the, his disciples were not keeping that tradition. It has nothing to do with kosher laws. The next scripture, and by the way, if he did nullify 
kosher laws, whatever happened to what he said in the, you know, on the Sermon on the Mount where he said, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments teaches others to do the same shall be called least. Like, what happened to that? If he took a scripture and said, this is no longer valid, I'm flipping it, it's, it's no longer pertinent to you, what happened to this verse where he says, who teaches the least of the commandments and teaches others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom? I mean, what happened to when he said that not one jot or tittle will, won't, a jot or tittle won't be removed? Like, how does that marry to him taking the kosher laws and saying, no longer applies, putting that kind of stand? It doesn't make sense. And I tell you right now that to a Jewish audience, to the Pharisees and to the scribes, or any Jewish audience, to say that this law is no longer law would disqualify him from being the Messiah. It would disqualify him. He has to keep the law perfectly. He can't say this is no longer applicable. It no longer applies. So there's no way, there's no way, no how that that's what he said, especially to this Jewish audience in Israel. There's no way, no how. So another scripture that's used to nullify the kosher laws uh, is from Peter's vision in Acts 10. So did Peter's vision nullify the kosher laws? Let's go through it. This is another misunderstanding of scripture. So this is Peter. He is now on the roof of this dude named Simon the Tanner. I visited that house in Israel. If you go to old Joppa or Yaffa, uh, you can visit uh, Simon the Tanner's house. You can visit this actual place. And so he was up on the roof, and as they were on their way approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth, hours to pray, sixth hour to pray, but he came hungry and wanted to eat, and while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. That's my trance. And he saw the sky open and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by the four corners. Since it says sheet with four corners, it might have even been a talit. And on it were all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the sky, i.e. unkosher animals. Okay? Unkosher animals. On this sheet coming down from the sky. And a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean and common. Now, first of all, if Yeshua, when he was on the earth, declared all foods clean, why would it be so many years later that Peter would be like, well, I would never eat anything unclean? Why wouldn't he be saying at this point, oh, yeah, we were taught by our Lord that he flipped the kosher laws. Like, why did he say, no, I've never eaten anything unclean and common? So what is the difference between unclean and common? Because we see this in the New Testament. We don't see it in the Torah. Unclean is the word for the unkosher foods. The ones that the Bible lists is don't eat these. That's, that's unclean. Common, things that are common, common, means not, un, did I say uncommon? Common means that it's used for other purposes outside of holy purposes specifically used in idol worship and meat that was sacrificed to idols that's what common meat means so what peter is saying here is and they have two different greek words obviously so he's saying he's never eaten anything on kosher and even if the animal is kosher like a chicken i've never eaten it if it was sacrificed to another god. That's what he's saying. Again, a voice came, from him a second, came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Now, 
if we stop right there, we might think, well, there you go again. He's cleaning the unkosher food. He's saying it is okay to eat this now. But again, this is not what this is talking about. You've got to look at context. I think this, script, this message, once I get it onto YouTube, is going to be called Kosher in Context. Because it alliterates a little bit. Okay. This happened, this vision happened three times. How many times? How many times? How many times? And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Whoops. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, he's like, what was that all about? He didn't go immediately out and eat a pork chop. He pondered the vision. And while he was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. How many men? How many? How many? That's why being a rabbi is fun. But get up. Go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings. Don't be concerned about this. You might be concerned because these people to you are as unclean as a pork chop. But I'm telling you, they aren't. Go with them and don't have any misgivings. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel you're doing something wrong. Go with them. I have sent them myself. Now, I didn't go through the whole narrative of what happens in the house of Cornelius but you should know that. So he was sent to the house of Cornelius. They sit down, and Peter starts talking about the Lord, and all of a sudden, Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, falls upon Cornelius and his family. They start speaking in tongues. And Peter's like, I guess God is no respecter of persons. These uh, Goyesha people were given the Holy Spirit now also, and who am I to get in the way of that? So now, this is a seminal moment in world history, by the way. So now he's back in, he's back with the apostles. Now the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers took issue with him, right? This is why the Holy Spirit had to say, don't worry about it. You can get in trouble for this, but it's, it's okay, it's for me. The Jewish believers took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained at length to them in an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, Yaffa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision and an object coming down like a great sheet lowered from the sky, and it came to where I was, and I'm just going to skip ahead. We know this happened three times. How many times? And everything was drawn back up to the sky. And behold, at that moment, how many men? Do you understand that that is the fulfillment, right? You understand that, right? If three times the vision happened and then three men, that's the fulfillment, okay? Who had been sent to me from Caesarea came up to the house where we were staying. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift, I'm skipping, um, as he also gave to us after believing in the Lord Messiah Yeshua, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. Let me ask you a question. The unclean animals that came down in the vision, what did they represent? You! Who are Gentiles? That's what it represented. The whole vision had nothing to do with food. Nothing! Nada. Nothing to do with food. Nothing. 
It had to do with God cleansing the Gentiles. That's what it's all about. It's not a proof text for God flipping the kosher laws. It's not. Now, you may think they don't apply. That's fine. But these are two scriptures so far that you can't use anymore. Let's continue on. Clean or unclean? Why? Why else? Don't say that. I think he looks cute. Look at his little facey. It actually specifically talks about uh, reptile lizards and reptiles, you know, and says, specifically writes them as not being kosher to eat. So, so much for your frog legs and your alligator meat. Unclean. Clean or unclean? That's a duck. Clean or unclean? Why? Because <laughs> he's so cute, much more than the lizard. Why? I gave, it's the same reason that I gave for the chicken. Why? He's not in the list. He's not in the list of unkosher birds. Clean. An eagle, clean or unclean, to eat. Why? He's in the list of unclean birds. That's a cricket or a grasshopper. Clean or unclean? Clean. There was a time, it must have been 20 years ago or something like that by now, we were having Sukkot, which we'll talk a little bit about later today, because Sukkot, as Steffi said, is right around the corner, and we're having a Sukkot celebration, and I did a teaching, this is 20 years ago, right here at Mishkan David, about kosher, and I told everybody that, because you're such good students, that I brought with me to share after the teaching a, <laughs> a, a homemade kosher snack and everybody was very excited little did they know that the day before I went to the pet store I went to the area where they sell food for snakes and I bought a little baggie of live crickets they all met Yeshua in my freezer and then later on in a pot where I had to boil all the you know bacteria out Prayed that it worked, put it on a plate with a little honey because John the Baptist ate locusts and honey. Got to be biblical about all this stuff. And I presented the plate to the crazy Mishkan folks at that time. Was, is anybody here today that was there then? Donnie, Steffi, anyone else? Lou? The Mishkan, crazy Mishkan peeps at that time lined up like they were taking communion. I remember 90-plus-year-old Florence dipped it in the honey, gave her a little thing. Anyway, clean. Let's continue. Did Paul abolish the kosher laws? Now, the scripture that's primarily used as a proof text to supposedly prove that the kosher laws have been flipped and are no, no longer apply, is Romans 14 from Paul. Now let's read it, a little bit of it. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but one who is weak, and I highlighted one who is weak, and let's, let's parking lot that and keep it in your mind. One who is weak eats only vegetables. So what is he talking about here? There's some reason that some people are staying away, not just from unkosher or kosher, but meat altogether. Right? 
They're staying away from meat altogether. So why would that be? Let's just continue on. Uh, one who eats is not to regard with contempt. And this is, what, by the way, one of my favorite chapters in, in the Scripture, especially within the letters from Paul. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Now, by the way, I do apply that to kosher. Don't judge nobody where they are. Okay? And I feel very strongly about that. I'm going to drop kick this thing if it doesn't stop clicking twice. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Yeshua that nothing is unclean in itself. Well, that seems pretty obvious what he's saying, right? But to the one who thinks something is unclean, to that person it is unclean. For the kingdom of God, and it's a great scripture, put this one on your, on, your, on your fridge or your desk. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That is absolutely so beautiful. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed clean. I'm going to get there. It reads a certain way, but we're going to get there. But they are evil for the person who eats and causes offense. It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother or sister stumbles. This chapter is amazing. It's saying essentially, whatever you eat, just do it unto the Lord. If you eat, do it unto the Lord. If you don't do it, if you don't eat, don't eat unto the Lord. But whatever you do, if you eat and you cause your brother to stumble because of what you eat, then you're, you're, you're committing something evil. It's a beautiful scripture. We must always remember that. It's... it's it's such an amazing teaching on priorities in the scripture. It's priorities, spiritual priorities about what's really important and what's less important. Even Yeshua spoke about weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and compassion. So, again, to read something like this in context, kosher in context, you need to look at or you try to look at other scriptures where he's talking about the exact same thing. And if we go to 1 Corinthians 8, you will find the exact same wording over and over again. But this time it is explicit. He's talking not about kosher. He's talking about meat sacrificed to idols. That's the, con that's the context of what he's talking about. Concerning eat eating of food sacrificed to idols, we know an idol, that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. Adonai Echad. Little Shema quote from Paul, the rabbi. However, not all people have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol and in their conscience being weak, being what? Didn't we see that in the other scriptures? Talking about the weak? He brings it forth here again. It's the same thing, being defiled. Now food will not bring us closer to God. We are neither the worse if we if we do not eat, nor the better. Isn't this the same spirit that he spoke about in the other, in Romans 14? But take care that this freedom of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Exactly the same spirit that he brought in Romans 14. It's the same context. It's the same thing. For through your knowledge, the one who is weak is ruined, the brother or sister for whose sake Messiah died. He said the same thing in Romans 14. And so by sinning against the brothers and sisters and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Messiah. Amazing. Therefore, if food causes my brother to sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to sin. Do you understand that? If, my, if, if, if me eating a certain thing causes this person to stumble, my brother or my sister to stumble, I will never eat meat again. 
What a great sentiment. What a great mindset. If, if me drinking wine causes my brother or sister to sin, I will never drink wine again. If me watching a PG-13 or an R-rated movie causes my brother to, to sin, I will never watch a PG-13 or an R-rated movie again. Do you understand? It's, an, it's just a, an incredible mindset and something for all of us with that. So the context is not kosher. It's meat, independent of its kosher, sacrificed to idols. That is the concept. That is something that Paul and the apostles had to deal with a lot. We don't have to deal with it that much at this time. I'll tell a funny little story. Back in 2007, when Sue and I first moved to Rhode Island, we actually had to deal with this issue. We had friends over from New Jersey, and they were very, um, very observant, Orthodox Jewish in their kosher expression. And they only wanted to eat kosher meat, but not just kosher meat, like a, like a, like, um, a hamburger we would get from Stop and Shop. They only wanted to eat meat that was sacrificed in a certain way that Orthodox Jews view as truly, truly kosher. Again, it's a tradition. But anyway, so they only wanted to eat it that way. I'm like, I'm new to Rhode Island. Where do I get this type of food? I don't even know. Where's the Jewish community in Rhode Island? I have no idea. So I went online, and I found a place called Jerusalem Meat Market. Maybe you guys know what it is. I didn't know what it was. I said, that sounds like a kosher place. I'll call them up. So I call them up, and um, I said, do you guys have kosher, like uh, glot kosher meat? And uh, they said, but they were so kind. They said, you know what? I, I don't have any right now, but um, and we were looking for a specific cut, a brisket. Everybody know what a brisket is? We were looking for a brisket. Brisket's a very Jewish cut of meat. It's also good for barbecuing. But Jewish people in, in culture like it a lot also. I said, you got a glot kosher brisket. That's glot kosher is the term for like kosher slaughtered a certain way. He said, I don't have it in the store, but I'm going to go to Boston tomorrow at like 3 in the morning. I'll get it for you. So kind. Again, I, I thought this place was a Jewish place. Anyway, so he goes to Boston the next morning. He comes back. You know, he has it. My wife goes there to pick it up. And she calls me up. And I said, did you get the meat? And she said, I got the meat, but I got to ask you a question. I said, what? She goes, are you sure it's a kosher place? I said, why? She said, well, you know, I know it's called Jerusalem Meat Market, but I went in there, and it was all Arabs. And there was Arabic writing all over the walls. And they all were wearing the big, you know, like full, full head-to-toe, you know, coverings and things like that. I'm like, oh, wow. And I remembered the Muslims have their own version of kosher called halal. They don't eat pork either. And then I had to wonder, could this be halal? And then I had to look into halal and what halal is. And apparently, the meat is blessed in the name of Allah. So, so much for not having to worry about meat sacrificed to idols, now all of a sudden it became real for me. So I had to do a study in the book of Acts and some of Paul's letters, am I allowed to eat this thing? But first, let me call him and find out what it is. So I call him up. And I say, listen, I really appreciate you going to Boston and getting me the, the brisket. But I've got to ask you, now that my wife picked it up, I just want to ask you, and I mean this with respect, is it kosher or is it halal? And he laughed at me. And I, he, I said, why are you laughing? He goes, i got news for you. There's no such thing as a halal brisket. It's kosher. 
So he got it from a kosher butcher in Boston. Anyway, all that to say this, I had to, this, these, these scriptures actually became real to me. It's like, oh my gosh, am I allowed to eat this thing if it is halal? Uh, so I had to look into that. And by the way, let me just go back to Romans when it spoke about where he's saying that I'm convinced that nothing is unclean by itself. Remember when we went through Peter on the roof and he said, I don't eat anything unclean, which means not kosher biblically or common, right? Which means meat sacrifice to idols. Now, even though the English here, this is the NASB translation, decided to say unclean. You know what the Greek word is? It's the same word for common. It's not the word for unclean as in unclean kosher. It's the one that that's aligns with when Peter said, I don't eat anything common. It has nothing to do with kosher. It's about meat sacrifice to idols, even however it reads in your English. So these are three scriptures that are used to prove that The kosher laws have been abolished by Yeshua, and you can believe that if you want, but none of them prove out. None of them prove out. I just wanted to say this. There is a scripture in our Torah portion today that says, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Has everybody heard of that scripture? Now, it's written three times in the Torah itself. Now, Jewish people say that the translation of this means that you are not allowed to eat meat and milk together. And a, a, an observant, practicing Jewish person will not eat milk and meat together. And this is their proof text of it. I do not believe that that is an accurate translation of what this means. In fact, if we go back to the story of Abraham, when the angel came to visit him, he, uh, Abraham fed him a calf and what? Milk. Essentially... Ville Parmesan, which has become very out of vogue these days. But that's what he fed him. So I don't see that being an accurate translation to say stay away from milk and meat together, but that's what Orthodox Jews do. What do I think this means? What is the milk? It's God's, come on. Then who's the kid? It's us, the young goat. Who's us? What does it mean to be boiled in the mother's milk? God's word. It's men were overly heavy-handed with this and calling out people's sins and condemning them to hell. The word of God is milk. It brings life. It's milk. It brings life. Don't kill people with it. Do you understand? Do you understand? All right. Clean or unclean? Why? Because it has scales and fins. Clean or unclean? <laughs> clean. It chews the cud and has a cloven hoof. Clean or unclean? Clean, strangely. So for all of you end time preppers, go get yourself a giraffe. It'll last you throughout the tribulation. So are Gentile Christians obligated to keep kosher? The answer is an emphatic no. No. Are Gentile Christians obligated? No. But you can. But you can. And 
the whole concept of anything to do with Gentiles keeping the law, the concept is simple and it remains the same. When Paul was dealing with pagans giving up their paganism, Paul did not concentrate on any of this. He wanted to concentrate on the weightier matters of Torah, their love for God, going away from idolatry, going away from sexual immorality. All of these things was Paul's focus. If, this, if, if eating kosher, teaching to separate clean and unclean animals was Paul's focus to his Gentile churches, we would have seen it somewhere, him telling them to keep kosher or rebuking them for not. But we don't. But it doesn't mean, see, this is where the pendulum is. This is what, oh, therefore it doesn't matter. And then you have on the other side of the pendulum saying, the Gentiles have to keep it because it's still the law. Neither are true. It's in the middle. The truth is in the middle. The truth is, it was not done away with. You're not obligated to do it. But every promise of Israel belongs to you as a Gentile. All the promises, everything, it all belongs to you. And Yeshua took the curse of all the law upon himself. That means there's only one thing left with the laws, blessings. So it's yours to do if you so choose, if the Lord is calling you to do these things and to say, you know what, I see it in Scripture. I mean, you're all here on the Sabbath, right? <laughs> Hopefully you'll be selling Rosh celebrating Rosh Hashanah with us in a month, one month and a couple of days. There's a reason for that, and that's a good thing. So if, you're ever, if you feel led to go down this path, it's yours to be blessed by. But it's not a salvation issue. And it's not something that you are obligated to do. The, the, what I like to say is that it's not an obligation. It's an invitation. So I always say it. It's not a hard issue, Lumi. So now let me explain something a little spiritual about these laws and one of the reasons why I choose to keep them. So we are reading the book of Deuteronomy in our Torah portion. Deuteronomy, as I've said before, is Moses' last words to the people before he died. It's like the whole book was recited by him probably the day before or so he died. So when we see him reciting the kosher laws, it's not the first time we see it. It's, it's a repetition. We see it before. And where do we see it before? And can we learn something from where we saw it before? Now, I'm going to go back to Leviticus 10. Now, do we know the story of Nadab and Abihu? These are Aaron's sons. Nadav and Avihu in Hebrew, Nadab and Abihu. So, just to paraphrase what's happening here, it was inauguration day for the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and all this amazing things were happening. And then the sons of Aaron did something that doesn't even seem that bad. They just took some incense, and they lit it, and they celebrated. Yeehaw! And they got zapped by God. And God called it unauthorized fire or strange fire or strange incense. And it was a very, very dark and horrible time for Aaron, especially. Aaron had to continue his ministry. Like Moses, like, don't, you have anointing oil on you, you've got to keep going. You can mourn later, but you've got to finish the job. It was a rough time to watch his kids get zapped from heaven, have to be pulled out like, in char you know, like they were barbecued. It was a really rough time. But after that is done, God gives them instruction to make distinctions between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean. You see, Aaron's sons could not 
discern, there's a word for you Christians that you know, discern what God wanted versus what they wanted. They couldn't discern. It was a little too enmeshed. So God said, as a result of this, I'm going to teach you a simple exercise of how to distinguish between clean and unclean so you can make a distinction between clean and unclean in more important things in your life. Right after the story of Nadab and Abihu, where God says, now I'm going to teach you to make a distinction between these things, we see the laws of kosher for the first time. So why, for me, is it important? It's important as a simple lesson to make distinctions between good, between bad, between unclean, between clean. Because don't forget that, I don't know if I have it here. I don't have it here. In Mark 1, the spirit that was cast out was an unclean spirit. Could there be a connection between unclean, as, as in things like in food, and unclean spirits? I'm not saying if you eat pork, you have an unclean spirit. That's not what I'm saying. But could there be a connection? Could God use the Torah to train us a little bit more. You know, the New Testament says that we're not under the law. That was our, our schoolmaster. That was our tutor until, and then we don't need the tutor anymore. But it don't mean that we don't still do what we learned in school. Right? You're in school. If you're in school as a kid, you learn a whole lot of things. You, you graduate from school. You don't need to be in school anymore. It doesn't mean you forget everything you learned. It means you apply everything you learned. It means you apply it. With the help of the Ruach HaKodesh who lives inside of you. That's the big difference. But I keep kosher, number one, for obedience, and number two, because it's one thing to stay away from pork. But what really God wants us to stay away from is porn. And do you see how close they are together? There's one little letter. So maybe stay away from, staying away from pork is a good lesson. Stay away from porn. The more important things. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because these days, there is a deceiving spirit out there in this world. And it is conflating lie with truth. It is not just an overt lie. It's a conflation. It's taking things that are true and sprinkling in and mixing in lies. And we need the gift of discernment in this time. He said in Timothy, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And then in Hebrews, which we're studying now, it says solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. So in this time, more important, I believe, than ever, it's so important to know to make distinctions between right and wrong because it is in our face, and we need to know the Word of God, and we need to have a solid relationship with the Lord to know what's from Him and what's from not Him. And when we feel temptation coming of something not from Him, we should know what it is. And perhaps there is a connection that the God gave us in the Torah to say, I'm going to teach you a little thing. Because if you can't do the little things, what makes you think, why can't I trust you with the big things? So, 
I will conclude. Clean or unclean? A turkey. Why? <laughs> clean or unclean? Don't be scared. Oh, unclean. See, it's this thing is going twice. Why is it unclean? No scales. Clean or unclean? A little sheep. Clean. So Yeshua spoke about the sheep and the goats. Clean or unclean? Very good. Clean. Amen.